0: What is good, everybody? Welcome to episode 21 of the Gold Standard Podcast. I am Rob Stats guerrera and with me, as always, is Levin Black. What is up, Levin? Happy New Year.
1: Yeah. Thank God 2020 is ending.
0: <laughs> you know, you say, are you saying that as a 49er fan or as a citizen of the world? Both. Yeah. Amen, brother. I don't want to say it can't get worse because we know it can, but. God help us. Statistically speaking, I feel like the pure numbers of it, 2021 has got to be better than 2020 on every level for a variety of reasons.
1: Yeah. And I mean, to be truthful, I didn't have it as bad as others could have. My job was relatively unaffected. And so far, nobody in my family has gotten COVID. So I, in reality, 2020 was good for me in comparison to what it could have been. But it's still a crappy year. <laughs> Like I still had my first kid and nobody's gotten to meet her.
0: Yeah. I've also had a daughter this year and she doesn't really know that there's a whole world outside of the house and the doctor's office, but you know, that's sort of where we are right now. Um, just a quick reminder, please rate review and subscribe to the Niners nation podcast network. You'll get this show. You'll get all our shows. Please give us a rating and a review. Just take two minutes, probably even less time than that. Honestly, if you did it on your phone, It really helps us. It helps with visibility. We want to get up the charts on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those places. So please, if you like the show, we do ask that you do that. Want to lay out quickly what we're going to get to in this episode. We weren't planning on it, but there was a little bit of news yesterday. So Robbie Gold is going to be back with the 49ers for the next two years. We want to talk about that. And then we're going to do sort of a year end episode. We got a a couple different categories here. Play of the year, game of the year, things like that. We're going to run through the best of 2020. I know there's still a game to go. It's fine. We're doing it now. The year is ending now.
1: Relax. I'm just glad we're leading things off with kicking. I mean, this is like my ideal podcast here.
0: Yes, because Levin wants everyone to know that he played <laughs> soccer. So he knows kicking.
1: Uh, Yeah, we can go with that. <laughs>
0: So Robbie Gold is back. Uh, Originally, he had a two-year option in his contract that the team had to decide by December 31st if they were going to pick up or not. They have since renegotiated the deal. So it's a two-year deal. It is a fully guaranteed deal, which is kind of surprising. And 38-year-old Robbie Gold is going to be back for the next two years through 2022, Levin. How do you feel about that?
1: Kind of lukewarm, (laughs) I guess is the way to put it. I don't think it's necessarily a bad deal. I think it's probably pretty fair market value. And I do think kicking is important because, I mean, I've said this on Twitter in relation to this contract, your kicker scores the most points of anybody on the team. And they may have the single greatest. like if you have the difference between a really good kicker and a really bad kicker is as big of a difference in terms of, affecting your team's wins and losses as any position outside of quarterback, I would argue. Because the difference between a really good kicker and a really bad kicker is like multiple field goals a game at crucial moments normally too.
0: It could be the difference between playoffs and not making the playoffs. And I say that in all seriousness. I've said it here. I've said it other places. Kickers are like lawyers. Everybody hates them until you need one. And then you want the absolute best one that there is. My issue with this, Levin, is I think they're paying him for what he used to be and not what he's going to be over the next two years. I've seen a Robbie gold whose leg strength is diminishing. He's really struggling to make kicks over 50 yards. He's started to miss kicks inside of 50 yards now, which is something he never did. I don't know that he's going to be the same elite level player. He was for the next two years that he has been.
1: No, he probably won't be. And I mean, as far as missing kicks inside of 50 yards, he missed, For the first time in, what, 31 tries just last week, he had a bad game. He missed two of them. That's a bad game. I wouldn't say that's necessarily a trend. He had not missed one of those in, what, like a year and a half? And an extra point he missed. Yeah, he did. But my issue with the contract isn't necessarily the compensation and giving it to him. My issue with it is what would have been the options if they didn't? Because this year actually has quite a few players – at least as of now, they will hit the market and are proven veteran kickers. They could have possibly been had for similar money, maybe a little bit more, but giving them a little bit more, you're getting somebody that's not going to be 40 years old in the final year of the contract. I mean, you you got guys like Matt Prater coming out of Detroit. He's going to be a free agent. I think uh, Butker in Kansas City, I believe, is one of them. Koo out of Atlanta, who... Is probably the best kicker this year. I think he's made like 35 out of 37 kicks or something like that. And there's a couple others out there that were are proven veterans that are as good as gold is currently, and they're younger. So I think paying them three, four, maybe even four and a half million a year might have been a better option.
0: These decisions are not made in a vacuum. Every roster decision you make affects every other roster decision you have to make. And we know the deal by now, right? The cap's going down. The 49ers have a ton of free agents, and they don't have a lot of cap room. They have to save money somewhere. Kicker was one of those spots where you thought they could save some money because before this restructure, only Justin Tucker was making more money at that position than Robbie Gold. Well, he took a little less money, I believe, the way they've sort of structured this thing than he was going to get. But he's still one of the best paid kickers in the NFL. So if they're not going to save money at that spot, Levin, they're going to have to find it from somewhere, which to me is bad news for guys like Kyle Juszczyk and Kendrick Bourne and know a whole bunch of other names on that free agent list.
1: They weren't going to find cheaper. He's the 13th highest paid kicker now. 13th, I think, is right about where he belongs. And that's with, like I just mentioned, all these people becoming free agents that are proven kickers. So there's a good chance he pushes to 15th, 16th, maybe even 17th highest paid kicker. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think you're going to get better than average production out of him, at least this next year. So I I don't think it's a terrible contract. I just would have rather pursued somebody that's not going to be 40 years old. He just... Uh, Yes, especially at that position, because <laughs> that position in particular is kind of a weird one where it's like they just suddenly lose it. Yes. The, mo- the moment their leg isn't the same, it doesn't just affect their ability to hit long kicks. It starts throwing off their ability for aim as well because it throws off the timing. And that kicking, whether punting or kicking field goals, is pretty much 100% muscle memory. And so it's all about doing the same Uh, Thing over and over and over and over again, the exact same way. So, the moment your leg is like slightly slower, it throws everything off.
0: I'm a little bummed because Robbie Gold also went on the reserve COVID 19 list, and the Niners have signed a replacement kicker whose name I'm not going to bother to learn. (laughs) I wanted to see emergency kicker situation in week 17 right uh, supposedly Akello witherspoon was potentially one of the options like let me see spoon back there try and kick extra points and field goals like come on give me something in week 17 but they're not going to
1: go that route you know if they could have planned ahead which obviously they can't but if they had the time to get somebody through covid protocols this is like the perfect situation to just go, okay, Ocho Cinco, you're back in the league. We're signing you to be the kicker. Cause obviously he likes soccer, he played semi-pro soccer last year, actually down in Miami. So he can kick and he loves to kick. And I think that would have been a fascinating thing to say, all right, go ahead and do it. Especially with the guys that are out in the receiving core. Like, Hey, why not?
0: Oh, that would have been hilarious. And he's kicked <laughs> uh, extra points, I think in preseason games. So he has some experience. I, Look, it's week 17. It would be fun. It would just be a fun thing, but they're not going to do that. So we're we're denied that great pleasure in the final week of the season. All right, that's enough kicking talk, Levin. Let's get to the heart of the episode. And that's going to be our end of year awards. We've got a bunch of different categories. Let's start it with play of the year. I I judge this by literally the first thing that jumps into my head when I think of this season. So mine was really, really easy to pick, but I'm going to let you reveal yours first. And if you steal mine, I will swear.
1: I don't think I'm going to steal yours because I'm pretty sure I know which one you're going to pick because it was the one that popped in my head when I first thought about it. But I wanted to see if there was something else. And it was the second one to pop in my head. And I went and looked up the details and I went with it. And that is week two, very first play from scrimmage. That would be against the Jets. It is Raheem Mostert's 80-yard run, which is the longest play of the year for the offense, whether receiving or rushing. And it also set and currently still holds the record for the fastest ball carrier ever recorded by next-gen stats. And that goes back a few years now. So it's a record-setting run when the season still mattered and we still had hope.
0: I did not think of that when I was trying to come up with this category. And I feel like Mostert early in the year, had a, he had a play against the Cardinals. I think it was a 76-yard catch and run um he had big plays early in the year that kind of masked some of the issues that we would see later on as the year went along like made the offense almost look a little bit better than it was and that you're right that play was just raheem at its best taking advantage of the blocks and just when he puts on the afterburners man like that you can't touch him
1: right and that 76 yard catch you're talking about is the second fastest (laughs) <laughs> a ball carrier has ever gone and recorded. Like he he did that in back-to-back weeks. I think that was week three that he had to catch. So he started off the week scorching and then he got hurt. But I mean, that that's the story of the season.
0: <laughs> uh, and Mostert actually broke another long one for a touchdown in that Jets game that got called back because of a holding penalty. I want to say it was on Ross Dwelly, but that may not be fair to him. It was either Dwelly or McGlinchey because that's all the 49ers <laughs> holding calls have been on this year. But, yeah, so he even would have had another crazy run in that game if not for that penalty. But that's, like you said, that's the story this year, and that's kind of the story of Raheem Mostert. You know, Kyle Posey and Akash Anavarathan got into this last night. Akash said he doesn't know if Raheem should be RB1 next year. He thinks maybe they should go with Wilson as RB1 to sort of lighten the load on Raheem so he can stay on the field.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would think Raheem is still RB1, but maybe you don't force feed him. and. Treat him as, you know, a a true build the offense around this guy running, you know, maybe limit him to 10 to 15 touches a game instead of trying to get him up to 20 touches a game. I could see that and I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that, but you still have your play to go and I think it would be fun if I can guess it. Go ahead. There's one play that is a highlight that we're probably going to see for multiple years and that's the IU leap
0: hundred percent week four against the Eagles it was third and seven right at the end of the first quarter Nick Mullins throws a backwards pass to Brandon Ayuk which technically counts as a run and he hurdles Marcus Epps of the Eagles like he's weaving his way through traffic and I'm like you know at that point we didn't really know what Ayuk was right we had heard he was good after the catch and we had heard he was really fast especially faster than he showed and then to see him on the field, fly through the Eagles defense. And then I'm in my head. I remember thinking like, all right, he's going to get down to like the five yard line. That's a nice little play sets the team up. And then he just takes flight off of one leg, completely hurdles Marcos Epps and goes into the end zone. It was unbelievable. It was like, for me, it was like, holy crap. We got something with this guy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That was the play that kind of announced Ayuk, even though, he didn't truly emerge as like a go-to receiver until a few few weeks later. But that was the play where everybody, even the detractors, even the people that were mad the Niners didn't get a C.D. Lamb or a Jerry Judy. They went, oh, okay, maybe I should at least wait and see on this guy because it looks like he has something.
0: And I'll never forget Collinsworth's reaction during the play. He was stunned as it was happening. And, you know, think about where the team was at that time. They were 2 and one bosa was hurt you thought like maybe we could still sort of stay afloat and then you th- they throw this ball to iuk and you're like well hell if the receivers are going to do that we're going to be just fine
1: okay yeah, yeah how'd that work out
0: okay let's just say things <laughs> did not go as smoothly from that point on but you're totally right that was like the brandon Ayuk announcement to the nation that like hey no one talked about me among this great class of wide receivers, but I'm just as good as any of these guys, and that was the first time we sort of got to see it this year.
1: Right, and hopefully we get to see it all 16 games next year because he's somebody that could put up truly special numbers, You know, numbers that Niner fans haven't seen since T.O. if he's fully healthy. Did you have an honorable mention? No. I mean, if I had an honorable mention, it would have been – the one you picked, because like I said, that was the obvious one that jumped in my head instantly.
0: My honorable mention was the Kinlaw pick six because it was sort of the same thing, right? Another rookie that hadn't really burst onto the scene and he had just gotten his first sack the week before. And it's against the Rams who the Niners always own. And Jared Goff, sure enough, you know, just putting the ball out there for anybody. And Kinlaw grabs it and he runs it back 27 yards. It was just kind of like the get off my back sort of play. Everyone's mad at me. Cause I'm not the Forrest Buckner, you know, they're all over me. Cause I don't fill up the stat sheet because I'm a defensive tackle. And it was like,
1: all right, you want a big play? You want a stat?
0: Here you go. Here's a pick. And here's a touchdown.
1: Yeah, it's certainly a worthy play. And, I think you're exactly right. It was a get off my back type play because up until that point, there were people on Twitter. They were kind of questioning the pick and, you know, I don't think there was really anybody credible going, this guy sucks. But there was a lot of murmuring of maybe they made a mistake with letting Buckner go and that kind of quieted all that. And he pretty much kept on going from there and he finished the season quite well and looks like somebody that is truly going to be a really good defensive tackle. Yeah,
0: I think his floor is just a guy that plays the run really well and clogs up the middle of the defense, which, by the way, they absolutely need. Every team needs that. And I think that's the worst Kinlaw we're going to see. And, you know, anything on top of that is just going to be gravy for this defense. And hopefully, you know, he continues his ascent, especially, you know, in theory with Bosa. And Armstead, hopefully next year, being able to play more on the inside, which is where they actually want to play him. So I think that, yeah, this could be the worst Javon Kinlaw that we see.
1: Yeah, and I don't think it's any coincidence. Like you said, he was really good against the run, and the Niners are much improved against the run this year. I think a very, very large amount of credit belongs to Kinlaw for that.
0: Okay, let's move on to our next category now, Game of the Year. This one, I didn't have one immediately jump to the front part of my mind so because i mean the year has gone the way it has gone so i had to take a little dive into the schedule to pick mine where did you go
1: well i thought there there were two two games in particular that popped in my head right away either one of the new york games could have been picked just because that's when things were truly still fun and hope was you know sky's the limit on that but the one i actually picked was the other one after digging a little bit more, I kind of confirmed this is the right one to pick. I picked week six against the Rams, a game that they dominated. Yes, <laughs> They won 24-16, but they were up 24-9 with like three minutes to go. So they dominated the game. And not only that, but there's a couple tidbits here that I think it makes it even better. One, it got them back to three three and three. So there was a lot of optimism coming out of that game that the ship's been righted. We're going to be okay. In addition to that, Jimmy Garoppolo had his best game of the season. He had 268 yards and he had three touchdowns and no interceptions. But the real kicker, I think that makes this the clear choice is that is the only game that Debo, Ayuk, and George Kittle scored. All three of the stars scored in that game. I think it has to be the choice.
0: You completely stole my answer. I feel like you're reading off of my notes. You know, they're coming off horrible losses to Philly and Miami. We we could see the season circling the drain at that point. And here come the Rams. And the Rams are looking really strong early in the year. And we're like, oh, no, this is going to be three straight losses. And that's it. This is just going to be a lost year. And you totally said it. Kittle, Ayuk, and Debo score. I mean, Debo comes in like a conquering hero. They're giving him the ball left and right. He's carving up defenses. And it was just like a, oh, this is what this offense is supposed to be, right? Like, that's how it was supposed to look all year long. And it was just, it looked so easy against the Rams. That was what was so encouraging about the whole thing. It was like, wait, we got our guys on offense back and we're dominating. Like, maybe there's going to be something to this season. So the hope there, that was great. And, of course, Robert Sala, I mean, just absolutely dominating Jared Goff and running circles around the Rams, which he seems to do every time he plays him.
1: Yeah, I think that was the the final week as a Niner fan that you truly felt like this could still be a special season. I think that was kind of the peak for the season, and after that it was kind of all downhill. It, I mean, that this was a topic game of the year where you can pretty much eliminate more than half this season because it no longer mattered. <laughs> you know, at the, the second half of the season, you knew the Niners weren't going to be doing anything. Like, you knew playoffs were a pipe dream, even though they technically weren't eliminated. So it had to be an early game. And if you look at the early games, you beat up on two New York teams, whoopity-doo and in those games you had serious injuries so you don't necessarily want to pick them this is the right. only game where like everything went right
0: yeah it was it was incredible and uh, robert sala held jared goff to less than 200 yards passing on 38 attempts it was just a dominating day by the 49ers and you're right like they won that game and it was like okay we're not dead yet we could still kind of pull this thing off and unfortunately everybody else on the team got hurt shortly after that but that was a that was a fun week for sure. Two more categories we want to get to before we take our break. First offensive player of the year. I'm going to go first on this one because I don't have a ton to say, but to me I think it was obvious and it's it's not sexy, but I think it's true and that's Trent Williams. The dude was an absolute monster. Nobody on this team did their job as well as consistently as Trent Williams. First of all, he played in 14 games, which how many guys on this team can even say that, that they were out there. And I think, honestly, if there was something to play for this week, I think he would have been in there. And the other game he missed was because he was a close contact because of COVID. So he's been one of the healthiest guys on this team all year. He started week one against Chandler Jones, one of the best pass rushers in the league. He hadn't played in a full year because of the dispute with the Washington football team. And he made Chandler Jones disappear. He caspered him. And from that point on, he has basically been dominant. He had a couple of down plays, a couple of down games. Maybe there was a slight dip, but for most of the year, he has been either, if not the best, the second best left tackle in the league.
1: Yeah. And I mean, there's really nobody else to pick. None of the quarterbacks had a good year and none of them played the whole year. So it's hard to pick any of them. The running backs were a turnstile because nobody could stay healthy. And the receivers, Debo missed what more than half the year. And Ayuk had a really good year. I mean, I think he's the clear cut number two. He's the only other person who I think would even be close to being an option for this, but he still missed enough time and he didn't get a thousand yards. Nobody got a thousand yards, by the way. <laughs> Ending that bet, I mean, it's technically not over till, you know, after the game. But, anyways, nobody gets a thousand yards. If nobody gets a thousand yards on your team, It's got to be an offensive lineman, and there's one offensive lineman who's been great, and Trent Williams has been great. He's, you know, I don't put a ton of stock, but you're going to hear me cite them because I think it's an easy thing to just kind of cite to show how good somebody's been, even though I would say the actual rankings, one, two, three, whatever, aren't all that reliable and you shouldn't put too much stock in it. But Trent Williams is the number one offensive tackle by pro football focus. They rate him as the number 1 in the league this year with a 92.1 grade.
0: He's been an absolute monster for them and and other than quarterback, I think he's their biggest off-season priority is bringing him back and to me that just goes to show how good of a year he's had. You know, don't judge the teams by what they say, judge them by what they do and I think the two guys you're going to see get big contracts for the 49ers are Trent Williams and Fred Warner
1: and potentially a veteran quarterback. <laughs>
0: From your lips
1: to God's ears, my friend.
0: All right, so we both had the same offensive player of the year. How about defensive player of the year for you?
1: Of all the topics that we have, this is the no-brainer. Like, I don't even think we need to spend a whole lot of time on it. I know you had this guy down, because if you didn't, well, you shouldn't be on a podcast. (laughs) It's got to be Fred Warner. Who else could could it be? It's got to be Fred Warner. He's likely to be an All-Pro. He's been called the best linebacker in the league by Aaron Rodgers. He had 115 tackles, two interceptions, two fumble recoveries. And by the way, he's also the number one linebacker by Pro Football Focus. But even on this, his grade was an 89.1. The next closest is an 83. The difference between him and second is the same difference or the same span between second and seventh. I mean, he he wasn't just the best defensive player on this team. He should be in the conversation for defensive player of the year in the league.
0: And the frustrating thing, I think, and this sort of happened when the Pro Bowl voting came out, people were comparing him to some of the linebackers in Tampa Bay and other places. And some of those guys do have better counting stats than Fred Warner. More tackles for loss, maybe more interceptions, fumble recoveries, things like that. But they don't have a stat for... Fred Warner running stride for stride down the middle of the field with a receiver or a tight end and absolutely smothering them and taking them out of the play. And he does that all the time. His coverage is incredible. And, you know, the average person watching it just isn't aware of it and doesn't get to see it.
1: Yeah, because if your coverage is really good, guess what? The ball doesn't come your way. Like, this is not – he doesn't have the tackle numbers of, say, a Patrick Willis did for the Niners. Well, a lot of that was Patrick Willis was absolutely dominant in the run game and was really good in coverage as well. But Fred Warner is better in coverage, which means he doesn't get a lot of coverage tackles because the guy he's covering doesn't get the target. He doesn't get the ball thrown his way. So almost all his numbers come from just run plays.
0: I did not pick Fred Warner, mostly because I thought you were going to pick him. But I let me make at least an argument for Jason Verrett. Because, first of all, he played in, I think he's going to play this week. So that'll be 13 games for him. He only played in 26 games the rest of his entire career. So he's been healthier this year than he's ever been. And he wasn't just good, Levin. He was awesome. He was awesome, even last week against DeAndre Hopkins, one of the best wide receivers in the whole league. And he stopped Watkins from doing the thing that Watkins is best at. And you saw it right before the end of the first half. Ball went up, one-on-one situation, ball's in the air. Hopkins gets his hands on it in the end zone where, I mean, he has like the strongest hands in the league, and Verrett stays with the play and knocks it away and breaks it up. That is an example of literally taking away what the other guy's best player does best. And I feel like Jason Verrett did that all year long. He's been absolutely fantastic. He's a priority to sign, I think, for the 49ers. Not to, you know, a five-year deal, but I think that he's a priority for them. And he has been great at a job that I think is tougher than Fred Warner's job.
1: Yeah, but I'll talk about Verrett more on a later topic because there's a topic that I'm going to be talking about him on. But I'm going to say a couple things. Yes, he's been a true lockdown corner. That's great. But him playing in more games than he normally does doesn't mean jack shit when it comes to this topic. Just because you were an injury-prone player and you suddenly actually have a healthy season doesn't mean that you get to count that as some kind of bonus over somebody who's normally healthy. The fact of the matter is, even though he had a healthier season, he, he has played 13 games to this point. Fred Warner has played 15. So even if you want a tiebreaker, Fred Warner's played two more games. Like the fact that he's finally been healthy doesn't mean anything to me on this.
0: All right. That's fair. <laughs> I can't really come back for that. I, yeah. Like I said, I think it's Fred Warner, but I wanted to make the case for somebody else just so we don't agree on every single topic. All right. Let's take a break. We still have a couple more categories to go, and and this is sort of like – These are a little less specific, so I think we can have a little more fun with these and hopefully give you some answers that aren't quite so obvious. So we'll do that and more after the break. Welcome back to the Gold Standard Podcast. Doing our end-of-year awards here for the 2020 season. Coming out just the last day of 2020. We thought it was appropriate. So let's get into 11. Worst decision by the 49ers this year. And I want to go first on this one because I don't think you're going (laughs) to like it. But I think it's blatantly obvious, and that is Kyle Shanahan going away from the red trucker hat that he wore last year. (laughs) I think it was a terrible choice by Kyle. He never should have done it. Every fan knows you don't mess with the good juju when you got it rolling. And they were rolling with that hat, and once he got – here was the thing. He got away from it, right? And since he didn't start the year with it, once they started losing games, he couldn't go back to it. Because then he would look too desperate, right? He he would look like he was, oh, no, I'm fumbling. I need to go to the hat. I don't know what else to do. So once he made the decision to not wear it, he was done for the rest of the year because he couldn't go back. He he painted himself into a corner.
1: Okay. One, I'm not really superstitious. But, yeah, I think it was a dumb decision. Like, like you said, there was no real reason to mess with it. Two, the one that he came out with wearing was not a good hat, <laughs> to be nice. And three, I mean, do you not know what a signature is like that's something he could have branded and made his image and been like a signature Shanahan thing that he's known for, and instead because he's gone away from it, it's gonna be one of these things that fans bring up. remember that year that he wore the red hat? Why do you ever go away from it? you know that that's all it's ever gonna be now but i I can't disagree that that's a bad decision, but worse decision and something that actually truly has an effect on things instead of superstitions. I have not addressing the interior O-line and specifically the center position. And the reason I have this is yes, I know we the Niners are paying a bunch of money to the center position in Western Richburg. My point is, is why the heck did they count on him for anything? And why didn't they go out and find another center and deal with Richburg's contract? Prior to this year, because it's not even that, okay, well, he didn't get back. They should have known he wasn't coming back. The injury he had is quite possibly the worst possible injury in football. He tore his patellar tendon. That's the same injury that Victor Cruz had, and it took him more than 700 days to come back from. Now, Richburg is a center, not a wide receiver, so it'd probably be a little bit easier for him to come back from it. But I think even A realistic best-case scenario coming into the year was Richburg maybe gets back just before the end of the year. If that's your best-case scenario, you go out and find a damn decent backup because there's a good chance you're going to be using him the entire year. I
0: think they thought they had that. I think they thought Ben Garland was going to be that guy and that they were going to be covered with him. But then when he got hurt, They were sort of up the creek at that point because, I mean, how many teams are three centers deep? And maybe Kyle Shanahan should be because the center is such an important piece for his offense because of all they do and the checks and everything on the offensive line. So maybe he should invest more in that spot. But I think their plan was, if I can play devil's advocate, we'll hope to get Richburg back. But at least we got Garland there and he's good enough.
1: Man, I don't agree with that. I mean, there's a reason why Garland was cheap. And there's a reason why Garland wasn't starting anywhere on the offensive line, despite having a guard position that was pretty much wide open the previous year. <laughs> and in addition to that, I mean, they should have, even if they thought Garland could be a decent backup, they should have still had a backup plan. Because what what I'm saying is they shouldn't have counted on Richburg for anything. And honestly, probably should have tried to get Richburg to do something with his contract so that they could get out of it or to like renegotiate it where you you give him like something to where he's willing to renegotiate it so the cap hit isn't so big so that you can go out there and actually get somebody. Because the chances of Richburg playing this year, I would say at the beginning of the year were not even fifty fifty. It was more likely that he would not play at all this year than it was that he would be able to suit up at any point.
0: I'm stunned because I thought I knew for sure what your worst decision was going to be. I thought you were going to say the worst decision was not franchising DeForest Buckner for one more year and sort of making another run at it.
1: No, I like it is what it is with, with Buckner. They were able to get a quality replacement in the draft this year. And even if they franchise Buckner, I mean, in reality, this is a little bit of hindsight, obviously, but mm-hmm. Buckner wasn't going to make the difference of making the playoffs or not. And in addition to that, you're just kicking the can down the road and you're losing the ability to get value and trade if you've already franchised him once. Being able to trade him when they did got them that first-round pick, which got them Kinlaw. If they kicked the can down the road, they're not getting a first-round pick, in my opinion just because he's already been franchised it's going to be hard and the whole problem with buckner wasn't that the team wasn't willing to pay him it was that he had a hardline stance of wanting to be paid up front he wasn't willing to work a you know parag special where a lot of the big cap hits are later in the deal i just can't blame them for that decision
0: thank you for explaining my best decision because I think the best decision that they made is to see, I was setting you up there is trading DeForest Buckner and how they handled that whole thing, because the trade of Buckner and what they did with the asset that they acquired allowed them to get Kinlaw and Ayuk because they were able to, they didn't have to choose between which one of those guys are we going to get in the first round. They were able to address both needs and as good as Buckner is, Being able to address both needs, especially at cost effective contracts, because both of those guys are on rookie deals,
1: I think it was a home run for the 49ers. So I sort of have the same best decision, but I went more specifically in the draft. I said the decisions they made in the first round of the draft were the best decisions because, like you just said, it set up this team for the future. But there's one big decision that they made in the first round specifically that makes this in my opinion, the best decision. And that's that when they were sitting there at 13, the wide receivers in the draft had all fallen. People weren't expecting that. You know, Ruggs was the only one that had gone. You still mm-hmm. had CeeDee Lamb there. You still had Jerry Judy there. You know, you still had, I mean, Justin Jefferson wasn't quite in that category, but he's had a phenomenal he's rookie. <laughs> yeah, you you had your pick of rookie receivers, basically. And they said, no, we're not doing that. We're trading down one spot. We're picking up a mid-round pick, and we're taking Kinlaw. We'll figure out the receiver later. That was a ballsy choice. And on draft day, I mean, people were going crazy over it because they all wanted the big name. They wanted a C.D. Lamb or Jared Judy. And even I was lukewarm on what they did. You know, I understood it, but I didn't necessarily like it. I kind of wanted the receiver. But later in the draft, they trade up from 31 to 25, to get Brandon Ayuk, that, to me, makes this the clear-cut best decision. The the decision to pass on a wide receiver with the first pick and then get the receiver later. They got a home run of a wide receiver, and they got a defensive tackle that looks like somebody that, at the very worst, is going to be an above-average starter during his rookie contract.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's just say, for example, that they did take Ceedee Lamb or Justin Jefferson or Judy or any one of those other receivers you want to put in there. Would they be significantly better than they are right now? I don't think they would be, which which shows me that it was a great strategy and a great pick by them.
1: Right. I mean, if, if they took the receiver there, I mean, I would say CeeDee Lamb and Brandon Ayuk both look like special receivers, in my opinion. They both look like really good receivers. If CeeDee Lamb wasn't on a team with Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup and lost his starting quarterback— he would have put up ridiculous numbers. He looks like a true number one as well. Jerry Judy, I think, will end up blossoming into a really, really good receiver. He's had drop issues as a rookie, but he looks like somebody that can get open constantly. Oh yeah. So I don't think I I, I would say that you can kind of call that a wash if they got the rec, if you swap Ayuk for the receiver. The problem is mm-hmm. is then you're at thirty one because you haven't traded up, and at thirty one, what are you getting to fill the defensive tackle hole? There's there hasn't been another great one that was in that range for drafting that would have been worthwhile to pick. So then you're going somewhere else with it. Maybe you go interior line and it ends up being okay, But the simple fact would have been your defensive line was hit hard by injuries and you would have been much, much worse on defensive line because you wouldn't had Kinlaw there.
0: And I like that the 49ers dealt from a position of strength, which was their defense. That was clearly the strength of the team last year. So they sacrificed a little on that side of the ball to bolster the offense in a position they really needed to upgrade in wide receiver. And like I said, not having to choose between which one of those in the first round they were going to go with was a a master stroke. And I think it's going to only look better and better and better as the years go by.
1: And it could have blown up in their face because if they choose to trade Buckner and Ken log gets taken sooner than they think, because nobody truly knows what other teams are thinking. You know, there was no guarantee Ken Law was going to be sitting there. And if he wasn't, they would have had this massive hold I was just talking about. So I think it was a very ballsy decision as well.
0: You know, you got to roll the dice sometimes. And luckily in that situation, you know, it came up sevens for the Niners. So good for us. Two more categories we want to get to. And this one is, I think is obvious, Levin. And the category is the hardest decision that they're going to have to make this offseason. And to me, it's easy. It's It's the quarterback. It's not just, it's the combination of, do we move on from Jimmy Garoppolo, yes or no? And if we do, who do we bring in? Those two things, I think, are easily the biggest, the hardest decision that they're going to have to make. And here's why. Despite being in year four now, Shanahan and Lynch have never had to pick their guy at quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo fell into their laps. Bill Belichick literally called John Lynch on the phone and was like, do you want Jimmy Garoppolo? They weren't investigating that. It just happened to them. And he's played and he's been hurt and then he's got in and he made a Super Bowl. But they've never had to say definitively that this is their guy. Well, they do right now. This offseason is that choice. Even if they stick with Jimmy Garoppolo, they're still saying at that point that he's our pick. And I don't care how good you are as a coach or a GM, you usually only get to make that decision once. So this is going to be the defining offseason of their tenure. And this decision is going to be the defining decision of their tenure.
1: So I did not pick this as the hardest decision, even though I figured you would. And I'll tell you why. Obviously it is the most important decision. It will shape whether or not Shanahan's successful more than any other decision he can make this off season, but it's not a hard decision to make. It's an obvious decision to pursue other options and see what happens. Keep Jimmy as a fallback option. If you get your Stafford or whatever vet they decide to pursue, great move on from Garoppolo. If they don't get it, go to the draft. If one of the quarterbacks you really like is sitting there and you're able to get him, great, move on from Jimmy. If both of those strike out, you stick with Jimmy. And to me, that's the it's an easy decision. You explore upgrades. If you can't find one, you still have Jimmy as a fallback. That's not a hard decision. That's an obvious decision to make, even though it's so incredibly important.
0: But Jimmy's money becomes guaranteed on April 1st. So, they have to decide whether or not they want to move on from him by April 1st. So, if they want to make a move for Matt Stafford, it's got to be done by then. You know, if they're trying to, you know, make a trade for Dak, which, which Leo Luna told us this week on the Niner Nation podcast, they tried to do last year, it's got to be done by then. So, that's it gets dicey because, I mean, even at that point, you have to know who you're taking in the draft. If you want a quarterback in the draft, you got to know by that point. So I, I understand you're saying like, yeah, you pursue and see what's out there. But at, at some point, they are actually going to have to make that decision. So that's why I think it's, it's a difficult one.
1: But even if Jimmy's money becomes guaranteed, they can still trade him and get out of that money. And there will be trade value. I understand Jimmy has a no trade clause ability. But if you're telling him, hey, you're going to be a backup or you can accept a trade to a team. What's he going to choose? He's going to accept getting traded where he can be a starter. He's not going to accept being a backup. You know, he gets paid the same. He's not going to lose money over it. So of course he's going to go be a starter. So the trade is still a a viable option. Even if you only get a seventh round pick, you still have the option of the fallback of Jimmy. So I don't see that they necessarily have to make it before April 1st. So what's your hardest decision then? What to do and who to pay at the cornerback position. Because everybody is a free agent. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I think that is the difficult choice. Who do they want to bring back? And how much are they willing to spend on each particular player? Because every single player they could bring back comes with somewhat of a question mark. The only obvious one, I think, is Emmanuel Mosley. And that's because he's a restricted free agent. So he's going to be cheap. Other than that, you got the Verrett decision. You know, we just talked about him. He's the number seven cornerback on pro football focus this year. He's been a true lockdown corner, but he does have very, 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 very big injury concerns. Even though he was healthy this year, he played six games in the previous three years combined. <laughs> six, six games in three seasons. So two it, games a year, Start him for the Seattle much, games. How much is he going to want? And what are you willing to pay? Because you shouldn't pay him Top money. Does he play when healthy at the level of a top corner? Absolutely. Can you risk paying that to him and have him get hurt when you already have all these other injury prone players? No. So it all depends on what he's willing to come back with. And I think there is mutual interest in keeping that together of Barrett wanting to come back and the Niners wanting him back. But if he gets to talk to other teams, I would not be surprised if there's some desperate team out there that has cap space that goes, we'll pay you $16 million a year. Well, if there's a team out there willing to do that, the Niners have to bow out, in my opinion. So that's a very difficult choice. But then you also have Quan Williams. He's a great nickel corner when he's healthy. He's constantly banged up. He's managed to play through him most of the time until this season. But that means that's not a good trend. Being constantly banged up and having to play through injury and now all of a sudden having a year where you can't play through the injury and you're getting, you know, he's not old, but it's starting to pile up the amount of injuries. So it seems less likely he's going to be able to play through them. And how much are you willing to spend on a nickel corner? Do you want to use other people there? Do you want to maybe have Jimmy Ward drop down there and play at times or see if Tavares Moore can take back over the nickel spot, things like that. And then you have the final one is Witherspoon, which I said on this podcast, I thought was unlikely he would come back. Then he played tremendously last week, and there are reports that there's mutual interest. I figured he would be upset about how he didn't get to play and would want a fresh start. But the reports are he's been incredibly positive. He's been perfectly fine sitting on the sideline and waiting for his opportunity. Well, he got his opportunity last week, and he looked really good. And, you know, I I prefaced this earlier in the pod that pro football focus is not the end-all be-all. I think it's, they're more just kind of like, is this guy good or is this guy average or is this guy bad? That, you know, the ratings don't really mean a whole lot. But did you know he's actually the number 10 overall corner rated by Pro Football Focus this year? He's just barely behind Verrett. He's number 10. And that's on a, he has 168 coverage snaps where he was in coverage. Wow. And it's not just, he's really good against the run, obviously, because he's a bigger corner. But I think he's like number 12 in coverage. So it's not it's not like he's getting artificially boosted by being good at, at run as a corner.
0: And here's something that, that Kyle and Akash brought up yesterday, which is which corners does Robert Sala take with him when he leaves? Because he's going to want to take people that know the system right away that can help teach the rest of the teammates and guys that he knows and can rely on. And if those guys can go with a coach that they already know and a system they already know and get a nice free agent deal. That's a really attractive option for them. So I think he might try and poach a couple of guys. I don't know who it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be Jason Verrett. I don't think so,
1: but we're at the Bay area guy. So I think Verrett is the one to stay, but I do think Sala would pursue Witherspoon and Quan Williams. I think Quan Williams is the one that he will truly look at and say, that guy makes my secondary go because in a lot of ways he does he's he's kind of a gap filler. He fills up a lot of things, a lot of holes in the defense. so I think Quan is the one especially that Salah might be willing to overspend to, to steal him away.
0: There are so many decisions that this team has to make, and that's sort of a realization that I came to last night.
1: what It started with the
0: Robbie gold decision. that was the first one they had to make because the deadline was today. But they have to roll the dice on Robbie Gould, which corners to bring back, how much to pay them. All the four—is 40 free agents that they have, they have to make the right decision on these guys. Like, How many times can they roll the dice and have it come out their way? That sort of scares me a little bit for what we could see next year. Because I keep hearing a lot of when Bosa's back, when Bosa's back, when Bosa's back. Yeah, that's great but he's going to be coming off a major knee injury. And even if he's great, like, there's so much in flux with this team, you can't just say, well, Bosa will be back and he's going to fix
1: everything. No, I mean, really it comes down to making the right choice of quarterback. If they get that right, the thing is, yes, the Niners have a whole bunch of free agents, but all the star players are tied up other than Verrett and, and Trenton And those two seem very, very... Em- Uh, likely to be back put it that way but all the stars are remaining so it's all the filler types all the guys that are depth pieces that need to be replaced those aren't necessarily hard to replace and not only that if you get one or two of them wrong or three or four of them even or whatever it's not that big of a deal they're the backups like it matters certainly but it's not a make it or break it you know what i mean like They have the star players, and that's the thing that decides who are the top teams and who aren't.
0: But all the star players have injury issues. I think depth is more important for the 49ers than it is for almost any other team. Debo has injury issues. Ayuk has injury issues. Bosa has injury issues. Verrett has has injury issues. Like, all these guys have question marks, so the guys behind them do matter. So I think they got to roll, they got to get, a lot of decisions right on these guys they can't afford to
1: whiff on too many certainly depth is important and i agree with your point yeah that's more important for the niners i think everybody knows that for the niners at this point but depth is still a luxury it is something you hope to have it's not something you require if that makes sense like you require having a special player like george kittle you require having a really good quarterback You require having a Nick Boza or some defensive player that's dominant. You require those stars. You don't necessarily require having depth to be able to win Super Bowls.
0: God, I hope you're right. All right, let's get to our last uh, category. And this one caused a little bit of a discussion between us because we wanted to make sure we phrased it the right way. But what we settled on was who outperformed their contract this year the most. And... I mean, I think it's it's a pretty easy answer. It's a guy we've talked about a lot already. Uh, for me, it's Jason Verrett. How about you?
1: Uh, Mitch Was No, no, I'm just kidding. It's <laughs> Jason Verrett. <laughs> hey, you know
0: what? Mitch has been actually awesome like the last half of the season. He has been crushing the ball, and he's been getting a lot of punts inside the 22. So you leave Mitch alone.
1: I had to work in a putter reference. I mean, we got kickers and punters in the same episode. This is like double whammy for me. I'm
0: stunned because Mitch was one of the guys mentioned as a possible emergency kicker if they didn't go out and sign somebody. Like, I am stunned we have not seen a kicker-punter combination in the league. Like you would save money, you'd save a roster spot, which for an NFL team is huge. Because if you only had to have one sort of specialist like that, you could dress somebody else on game day. I cannot believe that it hasn't been done yet. The closest I've ever heard of was Pat McAfee told me that sort of the plan in Indy was when Vinatieri retired, that they were going to try to have him go both ways. And he was like working on his field goal kicking in preparation for that day.
1: Alright, I guess I gotta do all my references and bring up my things. But there was a player early in the two thousands that nearly did it, and yes, he played for Purdue. His name was Travis Dorch. He he's the best kicker Purdue's ever had. He has all the kicking records. But he actually run the won the Ray Guy Award his senior year for punting because he led the nation in punting, and he was drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals as a punter. But the thing was As a kicker, he had issues with accuracy, but he could make 60-yard field goals. And this was back when people couldn't. I think he made like a 57-yard field goal or something like that while he was at Purdue. So he was somebody that was kind of capable, but then he he kind of got injured in his, I think, second year. And uh, I've seen interviews with him since. He basically never really wanted to be a football player. So he kind of moved on to more to new things when his rookie deal expired. Like He had options to still play in the NFL, and he just didn't care. But that's the guy that comes to my mind that was capable because he could hit crazy long field goals, and he could punt the ball as well as anybody.
0: I would never understand that. If you're a kicker or a punter and you're good enough to be in the NFL, why wouldn't you want to do it? It's illegal to hit you. The worst part about playing in the NFL – is eliminated from your from your life basically because guys can't hit you. And if you're a, a you know a decent kicker or a punter, you're going to play in the league for 10, 15 years. So which means you're going to have 10 to 15 years of making like a million bucks a year. And then you retire at 40 or 42 and you're rich for the rest of your life. Like I I, I would never understand that how a kicker or a punter would say, "No, I'd rather just not play in the league."
1: We love football. So we can't really put ourselves in their shoes. The only way I can relate to it is when I got to college, I played soccer my freshman year of college and I was burnt out. I've been playing year round. I was a coach's kid. I've been playing year round since I was like five years old. I was burnt out. I was sick of it. I didn't get myself in shape as a freshman. I literally in the sit down, meet down with the coaches at the end of training camp, The coach told me, if you got your butt in shape, you would probably be starting on this team. I never played in a game. Like, I was just burnt. Like, I was so sick of having my entire life dedicated to practice and not having any freedom that I gave it up when I could have still played. So I can kind of understand it from that. If you're not truly in love with the sport, it takes year-long dedication like your total life has to be dedicated to it. You're traveling all over. It's not, it's hard to raise a family as an NFL player because you got to find somebody that's understanding of you pretty much being gone a lot. So I can kind of understand it from that point of view, but I don't know if that's what made him want to quit. I
0: mean, you're retiring at 40. You could still start your family at 40 if you really wanted to. Like you could figure it out. And I just from a from a purely economic perspective, how many other jobs could you only hold for 10 to 15 years, where as long as you're not a complete moron with your money, you're going to be rich for the rest of your life after that?
1: Some people have other options. I'm, I would assume he didn't leave to go work some nine to five, $20,000 a year job. I'm sure he was well-connected and had some kind of fallback, actual true career, that he could go on and do. And now when this episode is done, I'm going to have to freaking Google that to see what he's doing.
0: (laughs) You have to prove that to me because I want to see this, this sweetheart opportunity that he had that was so much better than being a professional athlete for 15 years, falling backwards into money and then being able to do whatever the hell you want for the rest of your life.
1: I mean, he's not one of these like five foot six grammatica type kickers. He, he was something like six, seven. He was like this really tall, lanky dude. Yeah, he was like really tall and lanky.
0: Well, see, there you go. You got a Purdue reference, and we got more about Levin's mysterious soccer career, which I knew we were going to get as soon as we led the podcast with Robbie Gold. So thank you very much, Levin, for that brilliant update. He's now not listening to anything I'm saying because he's Googling Ray Storch. And so I think that's a good place to end it because I've lost my co-host, Again, I remind you to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast network. We do enjoy them and they really do help a lot. I see the look on your face. Do you have anything about Mr. Storch or not?
1: I was laughing because you said Ray Zorch and his name is Travis Dorch. Like you you, you were totally wrong. (laughs) You're sort of in the same ballpark. It rhymed.
0: (laughs) Sorry, man. Maybe if he stayed in the league for a while, I actually would have learned
1: his name. Happy New Year, everybody. He was a punter drafted in the fourth round. (laughs) So (laughs) is Mitch Wisnowski,
0: baby. Free Mitch Wisnowski. Enjoy the games, everybody. Happy New Year.